Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. There is a place where time stands still, where nature is harsh and demanding, where only the quick and the strong and the deadly can survive. This place is no place for civilized man. All you've got to do now is pass the Australian culture test. Three simple questions, three correct answers, and you go through that doorway to the greatest little country in the world. The best is yards of highly chosen. Thank you very much. Good morning, everybody out there. This is Annie for Solidarity. Oh, sorry. <laughs> There's a slip of the It's uh, Showreel, and it's all about Australian film. And uh, we're going to uh, talk to Giles Filkey. We've got, <laughs> we've got to do something about the phone. No, will it stop? Yes, it will stop. That's just a bit of a sound effect, and nothing's actually going right because it's raining. That's right. It's raining out there, and it's been raining. All day and all night, aren't we lucky? G'day, Giles. How are you? Hi. Thanks yeah. for having me. <laughs> now we're going to get the the musical interlude, the messages as well. But never nice. mind. That Just was my fault. Carry on in the background. Yeah, that's right. But um, I've got you here because uh, you're from the Artist Film Workshop. That's I'd right. love to know more about this. This is really fascinating. So the Artist Film Workshop is now currently located at Arena uh, Journal and Printing Press in Kerr Street, in Fitzroy. Uh, We've been there for about a year and a half now, and prior to that we were in a basement in Swanston Street, and so we're a collective of uh, small-gauge film enthusiasts, as in film or celluloid film, and uh, I found that really interesting, using film. Working with 8 and 16mm film predominantly, but also 35mm, processing it ourselves by hand in uh, 100-foot lots in Lomo tanks, and mixing up our own chemicals and so on. Um, there is another place, isn't there, at Dalesford that still does that too? Yeah, so the sort of impetus for the lab that's opened in Melbourne was um, inspired by Richard Tui and Diana Barry, who, who run a lab in Dalesford. Um, they're both filmmakers themselves, but they also do their sort of commercial processing of Super 8mm films and a lot of skate skateboard videos and so on, as you can imagine, and they do that in Dalesford. And, and so they were interested in in seeing if there was a a group of people in the city who were interested in in also working with film um, and running a lab there. So that's what we've been doing for the last uh, four four or five years now. Why why are you doing that, just as a matter of interest? Why film? Because people do talk about the the, uh, wonderful nature of uh, digital, but Mm. tell me about why. I think I was just fascinated with myself personally. I was fascinated by film um, and photography from from a young age. Um, and I'm also studying that at university uh, still as a graduate student. And um, I just felt that uh, understanding the medium um, from the perspective of how it's produced, how it's uh, made, was important for how I would 
write about it. So I guess I would sort of understand myself. So you wanted to know hands-on experience. So Mm. you're a research student in film. Yeah, and I'm I'm writing... um, you know uh, about a filmmaker who who worked predominantly with 16 millimeter film, and whose films are actually going to be showing tonight at the lab, which is fortuitous because we're we're here to speak about another film. But we're going to be showing some films tonight at the lab that uh, from this kind of uh, I guess classic period of experimental film in the 60s and 70s, um, which is when a lot of artists uh, turned to experimenting with. Um, 16 millimeter and 8 millimeter film, um, which had become more commercially available, or available to to sort of consumer consumers as as a product um, that we'd all know as kind of Super 8 home movie cameras and projectors and so on that you could use in the home. Um, and so out of that sprang a sort of um, an art artist uh, movement uh, whereby filmmakers um, weren't so much interested in making feature films as they were in or making narrative form things or narrative films yeah exactly and and became interested i suppose more formally in what what the medium was and and how what you, you could do with it yeah exactly sometimes without even using a camera Oh, that's or even fantastic! Film, film oh, strip. right, just so using the film stock in its uh, uh, and its properties, yeah, in a da da sort of way. Yeah, so definitely related to some of the earlier historical avant-garde and their interest in film. Say, um, you know, uh, I'm sure lots of people have seen the Bunuel and Dali film and Shenandelu, but there's also films by Man Ray that experimented with um, film strips that didn't use a camera um, and uh, rayogrammed things like pins and and nails and so on straight onto the film by exposing them to light uh, directly onto the surface of the film. Um, And, yeah, that continued throughout the 20th century, I suppose, with with, uh, artists interested in what they could do with the light-sensitive emulsion on a a piece of celluloid or or acetate and how that could then be projected into a a theatre or into a space. Ah, so it's it's a love affair with celluloid. In some ways, yes. Yeah, fantastic. But, but also with projected light. Ah, right. Okay, so that comes into it as well. Of course. Ah, fantastic. And so uh, just quickly, uh, who is the uh, feature filmmaker that you're doing tonight? Uh, his name's Hollis Frampton, and he was uh, active in New York in the 60s and 70s, and he actually taught at Buffalo uh the State University of New York in, in Buffalo from the mid-70s until he died quite young, unfortunately, in, in 1984. And he made um, uh, quite a number of, of short and long experimental films. And tonight we're going to be showing three of his films from 1968 and 69, so a, a small selection. And as he's the focus of my research for the last few years, I'll, I'll probably be giving a little bit of a a talk beforehand just to kind of contextualize some of these films which actually i think need to be um talked about before they're seen or, or while while they're being presented because they often um appear to be just uh, abstract or strangely kind of um idiosyncratic productions but in fact um are related quite interestingly to what was going on at the so, time historically and and so he has and it's an extension of his thought processes of course yeah he was also a photographer and he was writing about photography in journals like art forum and and so on giving presentations and also teaching but his films um yeah very much um personal biographical films and on the one hand but on the other hand uh, formal experimentations into the essential characteristics of the medium i suppose 
Ah, it's fantastic. So it was uh, a meeting made in heaven when you uh, met the uh, fellows from uh, Arena Publications. Yeah, definitely. I mean, Arena's uh, been around for 50 years, actually. They're having a celebration in a couple, I think actually next week. Oh, really? The 50th anniversary of Arena. Um, which is is great, and uh, we were lucky enough to meet John Hughes, a filmmaker um, from Melbourne who works uh, with Arena, and he um, suggested when we were looking for a new space to set up after we were moved out of our, uh, our basement in Swanson Street, um, and uh, Alison and John at Arena were kind enough to accommodate us, and so we have built in a small dark room and printing wet lab um, uh, and, a, and a, a sort of drying space into their existing warehouse in, in Fitzroy. Just as an aside, do arenas still do their own uh, old-fashioned... Because they've got this... I, I went there in the 80s because I, I, I had a love affair with lots of things, but a love affair with typography. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it's, and I began that at the point when... Uh, uh, computers began, you know, when they, were, they gave you five typefaces mm-hmm. and at a particular point sizes and all that sort of stuff. They uh, used to use old method um, uh, type of gra- uh, graphic machinery mm-hmm. and uh, create their... Yeah. yeah. Do they still do that? They still have some of those uh, you machines? Know, machines around, but they also definitely have uh, what looked to me very high-tech and contemporary versions of... Uh, printing presses with computer screens. And yeah, yeah. Because yeah. one of the things about computers is that you can, oh, if you like typography, you can have them really big. Mm-hmm. You can make them a little small. Mm-hmm. You can do all these things, which mm. is fantastic. Yeah, I'll well, it's not something say. that I, I've explored yet, but there's actually a lot of crossover, as you can imagine, between printing film and, and, and the sort of more historical printing presses that so came a lot earlier. Quite quite clearly the uh, way of thinking and the way of exploring and the freedom that is uh, being expressed mm. by the two uh, by uh, the Artist Film Workshop and by uh, Arena, Arena Publications yeah. really married. I think it's summed up by this sort of critical interest in both social and historical circumstances and for example, we are sort of united around um, keeping experimental film and uh, film in the public collections at the NFSA available. Um, they spoke to the public a couple of years ago about perhaps taking some of the outmoded media, such as 16mm film, um, out of circulation and just keeping preserved um, examples of those films in the collection and not um, making them accessible or allowing them to be accessed by the public anymore. Um, and so we were really um, lobbying, I suppose, to maintain access to the films in the non-theatrical lending collection and um, ensure they were being used and shown. And, and they're, they're something that is a, a great resource to the country um, that is sitting there and you know, people obviously need the facilities to be able to project and and show these films. But we uh, um, we sometimes, I guess, don't realise how lucky we are in terms of what what what's um, available to us in the in the public collections. Well, as you know, it's kind of interesting too because uh, the uh, a lot of uh, we've reached a particular time in history where 
there is almost an amnesia because that's the nature of a consumerist society mm-hmm. to forget the progress of progressive politics. Mm-hmm. And it's beholden on all of us not to forget. And mm-hmm. you're part of that not forgetting because mm-hmm. uh, part of, uh, say, uh, making zines, the uh, of shooting films on um, 8 mil or on 16 mil, because mm-hmm. uh, features were made on 16 mil mm-hmm. because of the cost and uh, lack of access. But it meant that people got to understand the vocabulary and then express themselves in a form. And even 3CR, mm-hmm. community radio, people uh, being able to express themselves using media, uh, mass media formats as well as uh, more personal formats. Mm-hmm. That was not available to ordinary people, but it was a political movement and part of the almost punk too. Punk is about, you know, you don't have to be able to play a musical instrument with that. You're allowed. You mm. can you can do it. It's not special people. It's yeah. it's real people. This is something that I spoke to Tom Ellard from Severed Heads about a couple of years ago and he was talking about punk and how it's related to what's uh, thrown off the assembly line and, and is sort of unusable and I think his approach to music and um, the use of outmoded um, musical instruments for example or consumer electronics and um, you know that extends into to Super 8 and, and uh, outmoded kind of video and camera equipment that we're, we're interested in at AFW and in terms of um, thinking about the political uh, potentialities of using things that aren't sort of um, the cutting edge of, of, of whatever that technologies. Means. Yeah, of whatever the cutting edge of consumerist experience, yeah. as it were. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's quite fascinating. You're on solidarity. Oh, sorry, I did it again. It's, it's something to do with the day. Well, we're always on solidarity. We're always on solidarity. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's right. It's solidarity showreel here, and it's uh, focusing on Australian film, and we're really focusing on Australian film. But before we go on, talking to Giles Filkey about uh, the uh, a, a Artist Film Workshop and a film that's going to be on on Saturday. This is why he's here. He just turns out to be far more interesting than I ever expected. (laughs) Tune in to On Screen and find out more about what's on the big and the small screen each Saturday, 11am till 12 noon on 3CR. It's a program on film, on filmmakers and on film festivals. It's called On Screen. Mm, but it's on the radio, 3CR. The Setting Sun Short Film Festival in its fourth year at the Sun Theatre Yarraville, April the 27th, to the 30th, featuring film categories and awards for the best in the West, the best overall, women filmmakers program, free children's program, and more from some of Melbourne's best and award-winning filmmakers. Come on opening night, enjoy a free glass of bubbles and a comedy set by Janet McLeod from Cinema Fiasco. The Setting Sun Short Film Festival, where dreams are made. April the 27th to 30th. Free program and book tickets, settingsun.com.au. Setting Sun Film Festival is a 3CR supporter. Mm. 
And you're back on Showreel with Annie, and we're talking to Giles. G'day, Giles. Hello. Yes, and we've got to talk about the film that I really got you here to talk about, which is a documentary, Our Power, Reconstructing Our Communities, which is going to be on Saturday night, 7 o'clock, at the uh, Artist Film Workshop at Arena, and we'll talk about the details and all the rest of mm-hmm. it. But it's a film that's being shot on film. Well, it's a film that's been shot on, on video, but it's a film that uses... Uh, archival footage that was shot on film uh, oh, in order to tell its story and to tell the story of the Latrobe Valley and the and the energy crisis that's taking place there at the moment that's affecting all of all of us in Victoria. So it's um it's actually about reconnecting communities, isn't it? It's it's historical, mm-hmm. but it's also uh, weaving the fabric of uh, to the present day. Yeah, how the the Latrobe Valley developed as a, a site for. The production of, I think, eighty percent of the power that's consumed in Victoria, um, and the way in which the power stations, the the brown coal power stations there, there's Yulon, Loyang, and Hazelwood, and Hazelwood obviously has just been closed. Um, how they were once uh, community owned and operated or state operated power stations, they were then privatised in the nineties, and that eventually led to the um, or how that's related to the the sort of tragedy that we saw in 2014 that was the the fires at Morwell and um, the effects that that's had on the community and also now with the closure of Hazelwood how the community is going to be looking forward to transitioning their power economy into the future. Yeah, okay. So tell us about the uh, people that they spoke to because it's a very community-oriented <laughs> view, isn't it? Yeah, so the filmmakers Peter Yukono and um, Anisha Vijayan, they uh, went into the community to try and tell this story and um, they approached it in a way that I think um, respected the voices of those community members that you'll see in the film um, and also the others who were, who were consulted throughout the filmmaking process over the last two or three years now, um, as opposed to, say... Um, telling the story from a, a, a sort of metropolitan or, or more detached kind of perspective on, on what's happening um, in the country regions of Victoria in the Latrobe Valley. And so they've um, consulted with the community along the way and, and from all different sort of, um, I guess, uh, political um, positions along the spectrum from, say, the environmentalists to the labour movement and the, the people that are working in the power stations themselves who've worked in um, the uh, energy industry for their whole lives um, and also those, uh, I guess, community members who are there to um, support uh, those people that work in, in, in these industries and how the transition to... Um, a new new power um, networked power um, distribution can can perhaps happen in the in the future. It's quite fascinating because, of course, Morwell uh, exists because of those open cuts, and uh, and as you, as you said, there used to be the SEC, and now we're in the throes of uh, of the uh, outcomes of privatisation, and the end of neoliberalism. I think we'll the end. It. Well, that's good. <laughs> that's good. Ring the bells. Ring the bells for yeah. the end of neoliberalism. Uh, I mean, it's fascinating with that fire because, uh, yes, uh, they will talk about the reason for why that fire yeah. got to such a stage. Well, but- I, I think I could give a good example of, of what I mean by that. I suppose it, it can all be a bit um, 
abstract if you're talking in, in concepts. I just didn't want to d- so. didn't want to take away the the clincher because I was there and uh, I mm. fa- I found out why the privatisation was going directly connected to why that fire got out of hand. Mm. Yeah, so there's a part of the film which explains um, very um, you know straightforwardly that the infrastructure for when uh, a fire could break out at a at a, um, a power station such as um, H- uh, Hazelwood at um, which you would imagine would be something that's um, heavily regulated and, and well, also maintained. Well, because brown coal is uh, intrinsically dangerous once it's exposed to the surface. Mm-hmm. And these are open-cut mines. And, and so what you find out in the film is that the um, infrastructure for fighting a fire in, in the event of a, of a disaster disaster um, um, was, instead of being kind of maintained, was actually sold off by the the um, energy company at the time um, for scrap metal rather than, you know, paying the cost of maintaining. Yeah, because um, it's part of social responsibility, which doesn't seem to be part of that sort of profit-making equation. equation. Yeah. yeah. So I think it's quite that, shocking. Yeah, I mean, it is, it's a shocking statistic because I think that the point is made that the, the company may have made, you know, fifty or $60,000 on selling scrap, scrap metal instead of maintaining a... Um, you know, a firefighting sprinkler system um, in the mine that would have saved, obviously, you know, millions of dollars once the uh, oh, and the health. You know, the the fire, pe- people yeah. died as a result. Yeah, of let, that let alone the fact that it's a, you know having a, a disastrous effect on the community and the and the health. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of fascinating too that uh, how many questions that are uh, opposed by that whole event because. Mm. Uh, if you're going to be in the business of running power station through open cup mines, you would think that you would know the entire business from the beginning to the end. Mm-hmm. Uh, but quite clearly, that company was unaware. And then, of course, the government didn't make them aware of their overall the life cycle of uh, a um, so it bring, brings into doubt the trust equation, the mm. community's uh, ability to trust the, uh, well, I'm going to use the word boss class mm-hmm. and government in when it comes to the practicalities of their lives. Is that what was, because uh, there's a lot of concentration of chat with uh, community, right? Yeah, so, I mean, the the obvious thing I think is that there are people there with expertise because they've grown up working in the, the power plants. They've have uh, got family members who worked with them, and they are really the sort of source of the knowledge on on what's going on on the ground in these in these um, plants and and in the mines. Um, and these are the people precisely that are being ignored in um, the discussions about what to do with the with the power. Yeah. Uh, industry and, and in, you know, in, in an international or global sense, you know who's who's in control of what's going on. When you have a French company that's administering, you know, power in, in country Victoria, you can imagine that there's not that much um, interest in in the community. Yeah. Well, why did the filmmakers decide to make this film just as a matter of interest? Well, um, I mean, we know that it's an interesting story. Yeah. But... I mean, I think it's just something that Peter um, is passionate about. And, and so he uh, he isn't necessarily a, a, an experienced filmmaker. It was something that he, he found himself kind of drawn to and and, um, and took it took it on uh, as a project. And it just grew from there. So oh, I think it originally it was only meant to be a, a short film or, or, or a film that would, you know, be made quickly and 
he so he, people got to understand yeah in the in the wake of the of the the, the fires but obviously it's grown into something bigger and, and and now it's you know encompasses the question of the transition of the valley from the closure of the coal mine into into a new um i think networked um model for for the um owning and operation of of power in the in the region so you're going to have the screening which is going to be on saturday mm-hmm. and it's going to start at the doors are going to open at 6 p.m mm-hmm. the place is uh the arena project space to uh, sorry arena project space to kerr street fitzroy mm-hmm. um it's going to be uh it's it's by donation, but it's ten dollar donation to the filmmakers, which is you know a very respectable thing to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's going to go towards finishing the film, and which is, which is still in in the process of of being um, you know finalised and pr- and produced and brought to a a level where whereby it can hopefully reach a far wider audience. You, uh, there's going to be community members. You're going to have a chat afterwards, mm-hmm. aren't you? So we're going to have uh, three community members who are actually in the film. Um, present to to speak about the the film and and the issues um, after the screening, along with the filmmakers themselves. So Luke Vandermeulen, who is a retired um, uh, CFMEU man, C- CFMEU man, but also someone who worked um, through the State Electricity Commission system um, from the age of sixteen and and worked in uh, the Luoyang Power Station for most of um, his career, um, and he uh, will be. We'll be there speaking alongside Tracy Lund, who um, is originally from New South Wales but has been living in um, Morwell and working for the Morwell, Morwell Neighbourhood House um, uh, more recently. And so she's um, a very important figure in the film in, in terms of uh, thinking about how the fires affected the community and, and, and the ongoing effect that the uh, fires have had on the community. And there'll also be Ron Ipsen, who um, he is... Uh, uh, a person who worked in the power stations in in New Lawn, but also um, has uh, the interesting um, credit of of being the first regional internet service provider in the Gippsland, um, and he's also someone who's um, you know interested in um, helping raise awareness and you know consciousness about the um, effects of uh, the power industry on the community, and so they'll be speaking. Um, with Peter, uh, the filmmaker, and, and also John Hughes, who I mentioned before, will be um, there to, to speak Unhand. about the film and the, and the idea of documentary and how the, a documentary such as this can have an effect on um, the uh, social and political issues that we, we see in the media day to day. Thank you. Thanks for coming in, Giles. No worries. It's been Thanks a really interesting me. conversation. Yeah, I think we could talk for a, for a lot longer. Yeah. Anyway, that's it for Showreel. Coming up next is uh, Published or Not. We'll go out. I know you've heard it before, but I just really like it. How can it be permissible? She'll compromise my principles Yeah, yeah, yeah That kind of love is mythical She's anything but typical Yeah, yeah, yeah 
crazier than dust. She's a powerful force. You're obliged to conform when there's no other cause. She used to look good to me, but now I find her. She's simply irresistible. Yeah, yeah. She's simply irresistible. Uh-uh. She's so fine, there's no telling where the money went. Uh oh. She's simply irresistible. We want to hear from you. Our station is all about serving the community, and we want to know your thoughts. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.